Welcome to The Ultimate Deal. Today we're going to be pitting the words of two Bible authors against one another to see who will be the winner. Paul versus James. In all seriousness, this has formed and deformed denominations. This idea of picking a side, Paul versus James, is something that subconsciously has occurred within much of Christianity, whereby which we twist the words of one author and ignore the words of the other. But we don't recognize that God has given us both for our own sakes, to give us a balanced perspective of faith and works, of spirit and truth. See, there is a tendency for mankind to divulge into extremes of lawlessness or legalism. And that's what occurs when you really focus on Paul at the expense of James, you end up with lawlessness. And when you focus on James at the expense of Paul, you can end up in legalism. Ultimately, it is not that any of these men promote any such thing, but because of the flesh and fallenness of mankind, when we don't surrender our own desires to see what the word is saying, then we would never be able to really understand this true balance that God is trying to teach us to walk out, to walk in the spirit. Did Paul say that works don't matter? And did James say that works are integral for achieving our salvation? Join me and we'll find out. Welcome to the James series. We're opening up in James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And so also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. James starts off by making two important points for us. The first is he outlines the problem that he is addressing in this letter right now. And it is that of faith by itself, as he said or to have faith apart from works. See, clearly there were people that James was witnessing that were thinking that, well, well, you know, I I have faith. I believe in Jesus. Jesus saved me. And that's how I'm saved. And so therefore I can now just, you know, kind of do what I want. And perhaps even it's that these men were people who knew Paul and heard some of the letters of Paul and And they were really excited about this idea of being saved by faith alone. And they took it to heart to mean something that I want to submit that Paul didn't intend and that James is now setting straight. That 
you must have works. Works is an essential part of faith itself. Faith by itself, without works, he says, is dead. Notice that. He calls it dead. Something that's dead was alive before. See, death is something that in of itself means that that thing that's dead has the capacity to have a life. Therefore, what James is alluding to is that you can have faith, but that faith can die. The Messiah explained the seeds that are thrown and fall on different types of soil, with one falling by the path, and then the birds come and they grab the seed, taking it away, and then others fall by rocky ground. Others fall among thorns, and then the cares of the world, they just choke the seed. And then there are those who fall on the good soil. The Messiah illustrated, Yeshua illustrated to us that you have to have faith that falls on good soil and grows and produces something. There has to be a fruit that is produced by your life, by what you call your faith, because if there is no fruit, if there is no good works, then that faith that you may declare you have is actually dead. Now, there is a test of true faith that we read in the book of 1 John chapter 2, and we read this, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, whoever says, I have faith, I believe in him, but does not keep his commandments, that is, to do the works of him who has called you by name. That person then is a liar and the truth is not in him. So he is saying that you can call yourself whatever you want. You can profess whatever you want. But true faith will be one who produces fruits of keeping the commandments. You cannot proclaim your faith without maintaining your faith. And if your faith is actually being maintained, it'll have evidence thereof. Let's read on now. Going on from that, we see in James 2 verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What makes you different from a demon? Like if you say you believe, okay, they believe, they shudder. Do you even shudder? Do you even fear God? Or do demons have more faith than you? Now, the only way for you to really answer that question is whether you have the works of a demon or whether you are imitating after the works of Christ. But with this, we should also keep in mind, you know, that of new believers, because new believers, while they can have faith, they may not have had time to have good works as evidence of that faith produced. Let's read the Apostle Paul. And now I want you to remember what I said in the beginning. Many people are about to put what I'm about to read here in the book of Romans against what we just read James stating. But the reality is, is we should be able to reconcile our theology perfectly with both Paul and James. We read in Romans 3:27, where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? 
of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. All right, so Paul states we are justified by faith alone. Justification is a word that when you see it, you can recognize that this is talking about salvation, to be justified before God, to be to be able to be saved by God. If we aren't justified, then he's still going to be judging us based off our own works, which are reckless and wicked and fallen. And that man who is going to be recognized by those works will not inherit salvation. But most people stop reading where I just stopped because Paul is actually about to clarify. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. And that word for establish, I want to highlight that for you. It is the word in Greek to stand, to abide, to appoint, to continue. It's a covenant. It's to establish, to hold up or to present. See, Paul says, on the contrary, this does not nullify the law. To have faith and to be saved by faith does not nullify the law. Instead, it continues. The law continues. The law remains a covenant. The law remains established. The law stands. And yes, we are in a new covenant, a covenant whereas by the law is now written on the heart, but yet not nullified, not abolished. When we consider now what Paul is saying, we start recognizing he is taking a stance going after what salvation is about, how to be saved. And he talks about this faith in God and that our works of the law won't justify us. It is true. And I want to submit that it is not in contrast to what James is saying, even though James did say if someone has faith but does not have works, cannot faith save him? He said no. But see, James is taking a different perspective. He is talking about those who say they have faith but have faith apart from works. And Paul is talking to those who say they have works but who rely on their own works for salvation instead of relying on the Messiah apart from their own works, simply on the Messiah to save them. And then recognizing that this does not nullify the importance of the law nor works and that that is now established through our faith, that in our faith, we are faithful to God. To explain this further, both James and Paul actually go and take the same analogy to explain what they mean. Now, this is quite interesting because Again, recognize how they're going to use the same analogy, but it seems like they're saying two different things. James firstly says in James 2.20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him 
as righteousness, and he was called a friend to God. Now look at Paul. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All right. So it seems like they're saying two different things. Paul is saying Abraham was not justified by works. And James is saying he was justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar. Now, what we have to realize is that what is being spoken of by these two authors are two different moments in the life of Abraham, two different times on the timeline. We see, for example, when Paul speaks, right, he is talking about how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that is the scripture that Paul uses as his proof text, referring back to the story of Abraham. Now, if you think about where is Paul getting this part of the story of Abraham, it is in the way beginning in Genesis 15, verse six. And this is where Abraham basically he was just introduced to God and he heard the promises of God. And he is now saying, I believe I will follow. And he makes a proclamation with God of faith. And so now Paul says that was not Abraham's works. Abraham did not have any real works to show for his faith. He simply believed and that was counted to him as righteousness. And so therefore you see that this initial faith that a person like Abraham has is something apart from works that God saves one by. And then James comes along and of course, with his argumentation, and he says that Abraham was justified by works. But James speaks of a different time in Abraham's life. In fact, he specifically says Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Of course, when Isaac was offered on the altar by Abraham, that happened way later. That happened in Genesis chapter 22. So what is occurring here? James is saying that since Abraham has now walked a path with the Lord, God tested him and saw whether his faith was genuine. And if his faith was genuine, he would produce good fruit, good works. After that faith, Abraham would be faithful to God. And we see this, in fact, in Genesis 22, verse one, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham and Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son and go and offer him as a burnt offering. So we all start with faith like Abraham did. And then that faith will one day be tested where God will call us to offer something up, to give up something in our life of that we adore and value. And the question is, is will we give whatever is necessary up for the kingdom of God? And that is the moment our faith is tested to see if it's really genuine or if it was just us saying something. And if it is genuine, then it will be like James said that the faith is completed by our works and the scripture is then fulfilled that God counts to us our faith as righteousness. Now, notice it's not the work in of itself that gives us the righteousness of God, 
but it's simply now the produced evidence of that initial faith that we placed in him. In fact, when you consider further about Abraham's offering of Isaac, you would remember Hebrews eleven nineteen, where he speaks of Abraham's faith in that act even, where it says that accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, Abraham actually believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead, even if he was to offer him. And so Abraham's faith in God was what empowered him to continue in the works of God to offer his son. So therefore, we see that it is something like this. The father is the one who draws us to him. And then when we put our faith in him, we are saved in that moment as the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. But then thereafter, the Holy Spirit refines us and empowers us and produces good works inside of us. And this is then going to be counting as the evidence of that initial faith we had in the beginning. We see in Romans 2 verse 13, Paul writes further, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. That obedience to the law comes by faith, by the Holy Spirit's empowerment, not our own abilities, but by Christ in us. And therefore, because we walk in the righteousness of Christ that he physically produces in us and in our actions in this world, that will be part of what is the evidence of the righteousness that he has imputed to us for salvation. It's important to understand that in most of Paul's writings, especially in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians, Paul is focused as an evangelist on that initial salvation, that save by faith moment that each of us will find and how that moment is not by our works that we are saved by our faith alone. He is there to combat the legalistic doctrines that were going around in his day where men thought that their own works would be what is what justifies them before God. But James is coming after that which is faith without works, that which is a false proclamation of faith, that life of lawlessness that we can make excuses for by saying we're saved by faith alone. This is an amazing example of Paul being an evangelist focused on salvation and James as the leader of the Jerusalem church, a shepherd, like a pastor focused on continuation of people in that salvation. Now let's read further in the book of James, chapter two, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Many people believe that the role of faith and the role of works changed completely from the time of the Old Testament to the time of the New Testament. But this couldn't be further from the truth. From Genesis to Revelation, 
Faith was always what justified men before God. And their works was always what was simply the fruit of their faith. We see, for example, that Abraham, he believed God and he offered Isaac as evidence of his faith. We see that Noah believed God and built an ark as evidence of his faith. We see that Elijah believed God and called down far from heaven as evidence of his faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they've been encircled for many days. And Moses believed God and approached the throne of Pharaoh as evidence of his faith. Even Israel, when they were enslaved in Egypt, by faith put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And it is by that faith that the angel passed over them. But yet that faith in God had a work that was to actually obey the commandment to put the blood on. And without that work, that was the evidence of their faith. The death angel wouldn't have passed over their homes. Their faith was true because their works showed it. And so it was with all of these men of God in ancient times of past New Testament, Old Testament. It never changed. And to just drive this home, even in your marriage, would it not be so that it begins with faith that you place in one another, that as one another trusts in one another to uphold the covenant, there is going to be the expectation of being faithful to that covenant by means of displaying works of faith. In other words, you're going to work on your marriage. We all know that no marriage will last without working on it, without loving in action, without making sacrifices and our own offerings. And so in that same way, we can see that faith without works is dead. As we start to conclude this teaching, I would like to issue two warnings for you. Number one, to those who are abusers of the scriptures that Paul authored. First, those who desire to not keep the commandments of God so often look at those who try and keep the commandments of God and they make an accusation. Oh, you're just trying to put yourself under the law. You're just trying to earn your salvation by doing so. And what this is, is it is an accusation that comes from a big assumption of motive that is not true. Sure, someone can try and keep the law of God because they believe that is how they're going to be justified before God. And that is incorrect and that should be corrected. However, there are many people who keep the commandments and that is not a signal that they are trying to do so for salvation. And so in that way, I want to submit to you that it is a straw man argument to state that just because you try and be obedient, that you're trying to earn salvation. A straw man argument is when you set up a position of what the other person believes when that's not actually what they believe. And you do so in order to defeat their misrepresented position more easily. And it is a way of not actually engaging with the big question of why are they keeping the commandment? Because it may be that they're keeping the commandments for the correct reason. But if we simply go and devolve into 
assuming you're trying to do it for salvation, what we are showing is that we have no other way of reckoning with what they're doing and that what they're doing is convicting to us. It's pricking our heart. It's, it's, it's something that makes us uncomfortable. And instead of, of actually facing what they're doing and reconciling it with the word of God, we retaliate because we're scared of what it may mean for us if well, if what they're doing is actually correct. And if that means that we should actually repent and change our own lives in the area of where they're living different from us. Instead, be a humble person eager to understand, regardless of what the outcome for you may be. Secondly, I'd like to warn those who twist the writings of James for their own gain. If you attempt to keep the commandments for salvation, to place your hope therein so that you may be justified by God, if you rely on your daily performance before God in order to be saved, then you are placing yourself in great danger. You are ultimately trusting in your own works, not recognizing how filthy they actually are. Ultimately, yes, God calls us to good works, but the standard of good works necessary for us to be saved is something that is not achievable by you nor by me. It was only achieved by the Messiah. That is why he is the Messiah. That is why he went to the cross. And so to not rely and absolutely 100 percent depend on him for salvation is a distaste to the cross. In conclusion, I'd like to give you a last word from both Paul and James on how you can test whether your faith is true. James speaks about poor people and our actions towards them. And he says this. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? If we have true faith, we will have true love for our neighbor. And true faith is evidenced by that love being in action towards them, not just speaking words of truth and words of faith, but doing what we say we represent. And Paul concludes for us about what humble faith is. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. For it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Let us be the people who trust in the Messiah, for who is the only one who is good and who can save us. And let us trust in him to do a great work in us by his Holy Spirit, so we may produce his works on earth, doing the works of his kingdom on earth, letting his kingdom come down to shape and to change the hearts of men. Please subscribe to join me in the next episode where we're going to go into James chapter three, how we talk about taming the tongue. And I want to say a special thank you to our partners who've made this episode of the James series possible.